Well, good morning. It is a joy to welcome you to worship here at Christ Church on this first Sunday after Easter. It is a beautiful day here in the Midwest. The sun is shining. Uh, the risen Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne and is at work for good, even in the midst of these challenging times. You know, I've become even more convinced than usual in recent weeks that keeping my eyes focused on Jesus is one of the most critical things that I can do to get through this time in a creative way. And I hope and pray that you will find once again today, through our time of worship together, that vision of God's goodness, his call upon your life that strengthens you for the journey to come. We've got a wonderful service of worship prepared. I hope you'll enjoy the beautiful music, uh, the rich liturgy of this time, and the very practical message that our dear friend Sue Ann Camfield is going to be bringing to us. Uh, if you're using one of our chat channels, we want to welcome you to let us know who you are, where you are, uh, perhaps say hello to others that are worshiping alongside of you today, and share with us what's going on for you and how we can pray for you during this special period. Uh, dear ones, please know that God knows you and sees you right where you are today. So whether you're in a home or gathered around a table, I just pray that these next minutes will be some of the most important time of your week. Let's open our heart now to God as Pastor Rick leads us into this special time when we wait upon the Lord. Prepare ye the way, prepare ye the way, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Friends, as we prepare ourselves to present our lives before the throne of God this very morning, let's consider together the words of the psalmist, King David, in the 63rd Psalm. Hear the word of the Lord. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name. I will lift up my hands. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Let's lift our hearts together in worship this morning.
one of the most amazing things about our great God who is sovereign over all is that he cares not only just about us, but he cares what we're thinking and what we're feeling. And that's what prayer really is. The scriptures tell us that he is attentive, listening for our prayers, even the ones that don't sound that well formed. But this morning we can all come before his throne and express our innermost thoughts and our feelings to him. Will you join me in prayer? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the very gift of life. In fact, every breath we draw is a gift from you. We're amazed and grateful that you and your divine providence and sovereign will included us in your very family, making us your very own children through the new birth of regeneration. Lord, we thank you, if that were not enough, that you've also included us in your work to accomplish the purpose of God and your kingdom here on earth. Lord, may our praise, our worship, and our prayers this morning rise before you as a sweet offering from the altar of our hearts, which are on fire with a genuine love for you. Help us, Lord, by your indwelling spirit to rise above and transcend the earthly in these moments, to sit at your feet in awe of your presence. Precious Lord, though, as we come to you this morning, we openly confess and admit that we have more often not given you the, the best of our, our energies, the best of our faith, the best of our thoughts. So often we've given you the leftovers instead of our best. Lord, we call you that name, Lord, Lord, but we simply do not do what you tell us to do too many times. But rather we do what pleases us. Lord, we've pursued worldly lusts and pleasures instead of seeking to please you above all. So often, unfortunately, Lord, we all ignore you at times when we desperately need you the most, when you're trying to speak to us. Please forgive us and cleanse us deeply from within, from every sin that we have ever committed against you. And we trust you, Lord, to receive these prayers now in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, friends, I want you to hear this great news from the scriptures regarding how God treats us as sinners yet. The 32nd Psalm shares these words, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, he goes on to say, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Know that at this very moment, friends, in Jesus, your sins have all been forgiven, and you have been completely reconciled to the Father God in heaven.
Friends, as we come now to present our needs before the very throne of God, I want to encourage you to consider what the writer to the Hebrews tells us, that we are able to and invited to come boldly to the very throne of God to receive this very grace we've just heard about in times of need. Friends, this is a very special time of need for so many in so many new ways. So let's approach his throne now confidently, in great humility, but expectantly that our God is listening and that he will be moved by our prayers and his hand will move to answer them this very day. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace that you've bestowed upon each of us through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day. We thank you today for each of the countless prayers of ours you've already answered. We know that each of those answers is a gift of grace. We don't deserve your love. We have no right to demand or even ask anything from you. But you've invited us to do so in your great mercy. And you love to bless us as your children. So help us to pray in that kind of faith today. We thank you for hearing that you have heard the many cries from all of us in this recent season to stem the tide of this pandemic. And Lord, we thank you for how we see you are responding both locally and across this globe. We do lift before you this morning once again each and every person who is currently battling this dread virus, suffering in isolation, fearing the worst without a certain outcome. Lord, please lay your mighty healing hands on each one, driving out the power of this unseen virus with a demonstration of your healing power and giving very visible results. For all the families that have lost loved ones in this pandemic who didn't get the opportunity to be beside their loved ones, a mother or father, a sibling, a child, or another dear one. They didn't get to say goodbye personally. They didn't get the chance to give that loved one that last embrace and say, I love you one more time. Lord, their grief is doubly difficult without this closure. Grant each of these your comfort and grace in a powerful, palpable way today and tomorrow and long into the future. We ask you to visit them with your power and presence of your spirit in these very moments and shine your holy light in their hearts, in their minds, in their homes, and embrace them in your comforting arms. Remind them, Lord, that their next loving embrace with their lost loved ones will be in heaven. They will get to say hello and I love you and in those moments never have to say goodbye again. Lord, we call upon you to grant the heroes of this time, our medical professionals, first responders, law enforcement, the military, and so many others, a powerful touch from your hand of encouragement and grant them supernatural strength. Protect them all, provide for them still the varied kinds of equipment and protective equipment that they need and bless each and every one of them and their families richly for their sacrifice. 
Lord, we know that once you provided a meal for more than 5,000 people using your power to simply do that, you met not just the spiritual needs of those who are on earth around you, but you met their physical and material needs as well. We call upon you this morning to exert that same kind of power and grace to meet the needs of millions upon millions of hardworking people who have suddenly been released from their employment and have no promise of being restored to it. Lord, this has created much fear and anxiety in so many homes and families. Have mercy on all who are so affected and especially upon the poorest and most challenged among us, even the homeless and the single parents who have been stressed beyond measure. Lord, we also bring before you the dear countless ones who are in shelter at home alone, not necessarily affected by the virus directly, but are facing discouragement, anxiety, and depression because they've been so isolated. Precious Jesus, we do ask you to shine the light of your holy presence and spirit in their hearts, to lift the darkness upon their minds, and to enable them to see a better time coming to them in the future, and give light upon their path so they can take one day at a time, following the guidance that you, the Good Shepherd, will be leading them to the refreshment, even to the restoring of their souls during this time. And now hear us as we pray together the prayer you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We once again want to welcome those of you that may be worshiping with us for the very first time. We'd really like to connect with you, and our online host would like to extend a personal greeting to you. If you are visiting with us in this way for the very first time, you're going to see a button on the viewing scene if you're on our live stream number one, two, or three that simply says, New Here. If you click that, that'll enable you to connect with our online hosts. If you'd like someone to pray with you, or if you'd like to get help of any kind during this season, we've established a special email address. It simply says help at Christchurch.us. If you'd like to talk to somebody, a pastor, please dial 630-321-3949. You know, there's so many great ministries that we are offering during the season to be of service to you and your family. One of them that we want to highlight this morning is our vibrant student ministry. Under normal circumstances, on several nights during the week, this building would be filled with buzzing activity of students laughing together, chatting with each other, learning together, and worshiping God together. But friends, you know, that's still actually happening, just not here in the building. It's happening via YouTube. Our middle school's gathering, called COW, which we call a cloud of witnesses, and our high school koinonia communities are meeting virtually with their weekly groups on Wednesdays and on Sundays. In an experience created just for them, students have the opportunity to connect with adults who are there to train them, committed to helping them to learn about Jesus and to grow in their faith. There's also Zoom chats throughout the week at different times to give students a place to just catch up, to share friends' uh, experiences, and also to share prayer requests one with another. If you know someone, or you yourself are in middle school or high school, we really encourage you to jump into one of these gatherings anytime you'd like. You can find out more about that on our family page on our website. There's lots of information will help you connect to these varied offerings during the week. We also want to take time this morning to say a very special thank you to each of you for your generous gifts and offering during the season. You know, that helps us do all kinds of ministries, but particularly let's consider how it's helping us to raise the very next generation of believers and to build strong faith foundations. As a part of the discipleship instruction in these ministries, we teach our children and our students about the joy of giving and how much joy that brings God. Recently, we're on the receiving end of some of that joy. Some of our little ones included thank you notes to the children's ministry team with their offering when they left offerings in the drop box that's outside our church building here and at our Butterfield campus. 
These notes of encouragement are a great reminder that our gifts fuel what God is doing in the lives of our kids, our students, and in our community. When our hearts are focused on him, amazing things happen, and we bring joy to our God. While we're an online church, our giving is primarily through checks and push pay, but you can also give by simply texting CCOB or Butterfield to 77977. And also, as I mentioned a moment ago, a couple weeks ago, we installed drop boxes outside at both of our campuses for those who want to bring their gifts to the church building. Friends, as you listen to this next song, thank God for how he is at work in our church and also in your life. Good morning and welcome once again to worship this morning. I am so glad we can be together in this way. My name is Sue Ann Camfield and I have the pleasure of serving on staff here as our women's ministry director and of just sharing a few reflections from God's word with you this morning. You know, I don't know about you, but during this quarantine time, I've been learning a lot. I have been learning a lot about myself, I've been learning a lot about my family, and I've been learning a lot about the people around me. And one of the things I think God continues to impress upon my heart that he wants me to learn more about is this awareness of this period of time that we are in and how much time we spend waiting. In fact, I don't know about you, but I feel like we're in this perpetual state of never-ending waiting. And it may sound a little bit funny, but the image that keeps coming to mind for me is an image of um, an exercise class at my gym that, of course, I went to before all of this happened. And there was a group of six or eight of us that would gather uh, several times a week, and we would get our workout in together. And our fitness instructor, his name is Jojo, and one of the things that he thought was fun to do to us at the end of our workout was to issue a challenge round. And in the challenge round, he would just simply have us hold a position. Now, it doesn't sound like maybe very hard or it sounds simple enough, but the thing I hated about the challenge round is that no matter how much we begged Jojo to put a definitive end time on how long we had to wait to hold the position with our muscles burning, with our insides screaming, he wouldn't do it. We would say, how much longer is this going to be? And he would simply smile at us, and he'd say, hold the position until someone drops. And I don't know about you, but I feel like in some ways that is the kind of perpetual waiting that we are doing right now. We are waiting for someone to say, hey, the time's up. You can be done waiting now. And we're just praying that we don't drop, that we make it till the end of the waiting. And you know, I don't know about you, but 
I'm not sure exactly if that's the kind of waiting that God is calling us to right now. If I asked you this morning, what are you waiting for? I think most of us would probably be able to come up with a list pretty quickly. We'd be able to come up with a list of things that we experience in the everyday. We are waiting for the little things. We're waiting for the Amazon package to be delivered. Or we're waiting for the refrigerator to empty out before we go to the store again. We're waiting to see if the weather is going to finally be warm enough to take a nice long walk. And we're waiting for the kids to finally go to bed. I don't think it matters how old our kids are right now. We're waiting for them to go to bed. We wait in the everyday moments. But we're also waiting as a country, and in many ways we're waiting as a world to see what's going to happen next in some very big, momentous things. We're waiting to see when the restrictions are going to be lifted. We are waiting to see when the economy is going to reopen and people can go back to work. We're waiting to see if there's going to be a vaccine or if that second round of virus is going to come back. We're waiting to see if that graduation or that wedding that we were so looking forward to will ever actually take place. We're waiting to hug our grandkids. We're waiting to properly grieve the loss of the people that we love. We're waiting to see the face of that person that we love in the nursing home that we haven't been able to see so long. And you know what? We're just waiting to gather around a table with people that we love and enjoy who make us laugh. The whole world seems to be waiting right now. And I don't know what we're all specifically waiting for, but I do know this. We are a people who wait. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is not what are you waiting for, but the question I want to ask this morning is how are you waiting, and in whom are you trusting while you wait? You know, waiting is a thread that we can see pulled through the entire narrative of Scripture. Over and over again, we see that God's people are waiting on something to happen, or they're waiting for their circumstances to change, or they're waiting for God to intervene in some way. We see Noah waiting for rain, we see Abram and Sarai waiting for a child that they are not sure will ever come. We see Esther waiting to make her request to the king. We see Ruth waiting at Boaz's feet. We see Joshua waiting to be rescued from a pit. And we see Daniel waiting to be rescued from the lion's den. We see the entire nation of Israel waiting to be set free from bondage. We see Moses waiting to lead God's people, and we see God's people waiting to be led into the promised land. We see the people of Israel waiting for a king. We see them waiting to be conquered. We see them waiting to be rescued. We see them waiting to be restored, and we see them waiting for God's glory to shine again. And at the end of the Old Testament, we see that generations of people are waiting for the Messiah. They've actually held their position for 400 years, waiting in silence for God's voice to speak to the, them again. And when we open the pages of the New Testament, we see that how God actually chooses to enter into their waiting is like nothing they could have ever imagined or expected. Because God doesn't do it the way that they thought he should or that he would, but instead the king of heaven decides to step off of his throne and enter this world, enter their waiting as a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, who goes on to humble himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. And we see the people wait. They wait until the third day when he rises again. 
And we said it last week, we say it with them, he is risen, he is risen indeed. You know, the interesting thing about the biblical story is after all of this waiting, the people actually didn't recognize the very thing for which they had been waiting for. The gospel writer John tells us that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And I wonder if the difference between those that recognized Jesus and those that did not was not the reality of what they were waiting for, but instead in how they chose to wait and in whom they chose to place their trust while they waited. In fact, we see over and over again in the biblical story that these two decisions and how people answer these two questions changes the entire course of people's lives for better and for worse time and time and time again. I want to give you two very tangible examples, very, some things you can dig your teeth into as we think together on how we can wait and how some people waited in the Bible. The first example is from the book of Nehemiah. We have been studying together as a women's ministry the book of Nehemiah, and I continue to be amazed time and time again how relevant that story is for what we are going through today. And the very brief snapshot of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament, and it's written, by, or written about a man named Nehemiah, you probably could have guessed that, who served as an official to the king of Persia during a very significant time in the history of Israel. Nehemiah, maybe you know most famously as the cupbearer to the king. And one day, as Nehemiah is serving in his post, his position, going about his everyday life, his brother comes to visit him from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah gets news that not only have the walls of the city of Jerusalem been destroyed, but they've actually been laying in ruins for decades. And when Nehemiah hears this news, it just, it breaks his heart. He is devastated. And he starts to weep and he starts to mourn. And in his weeping and mourning, God immediately stirs in Nehemiah, stirs in his heart, that he is the one that God is going to call to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And do you know the first thing that Nehemiah does when he gets this news, when he realizes this? He waits. He holds his position. And in his waiting, he takes time. He takes time to grieve the things that have been lost. Some of us need to do that now. We need to grieve the things in our waiting that are being lost right now. He takes the time to grieve. And then he prays, and he fasts, and he worships. He confesses his sin. And not only does he confess his sin, but he confesses the sin of the nation, of his people. And he takes time to remember God's faithfulness and his goodness throughout his life and throughout the generations. And then he cries out to God for his provision in a very specific way. And then four months later, four months later, when the time is right, when the sovereign God of the universe decides to meet Nehemiah in his waiting and lift the time of waiting for him, he intersects at the exact right time, using the exact right people, in the exact right circumstances, to pave the way for the exact right course of action so that Nehemiah can be who God called him to be and he can do what God had called him to do. And Nehemiah goes on to lead an entire nation into revival, to lead their hearts back to the Lord. Because you see, in the time of waiting for Nehemiah, he chose very wisely. He trusted in his circumstances he trusted his circumstances to God, but most of all, he trusted in the God that was supreme over all his circumstances. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that today. 
Now, if we fast forward to the New Testament, we see a whole different kind of waiting. We see that Jesus was resurrected. We just celebrated this last week as a body. Jesus was resurrected, and we see that he appears in his resurrected body to many people. And his last words to his followers after he teaches them and sits with them and eats with them and prays with them, he says to them, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. And after Jesus ascends into heaven, the early church is very much waiting for his return. In fact, they believe that his return isn't just going to happen someday. They believe his return is imminent, that it will happen in their lifetime. And so they posture and they position and they orient themselves as people who are waiting on the promises of God. Jesus tells them to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. They waited. And when the gift of the Holy Spirit unleashes itself on the early church, the early church is a force to be reckoned with. The early church gets busy in their waiting. And not this um, Facebook, Netflix, TikTok, uh, work myself to death until I drop kind of waiting, but the kind of intentional waiting, intentional busyness that impacts and serves the people around them in such a way that it goes on to change the entire history of the world. It's not unlike the kind of busy that I've seen some of you do, as I've seen some of the things you're doing to serve your community and your family and your neighborhood. It's not unlike the kind of intentional busyness that I've seen as I've sat at the Butterfield campus and I've seen carload after carload show up with bags of food and supplies to support the food drive that is supporting people that need it most right now. It's kingdom kind of busy. It's good kind of busy waiting. Those are two stories, two kinds of waiting, both intentional, both purposeful, both people who turn their eyes to the Lord and wait not just for life to go back to normal, who knows what normal is? Not to have life go back to normal, but they wait in such a way that their very souls and the world around them are changed because of how they've decided to wait. You know, one of the things I've been enjoying during quarantine is I've been doing a lot of puzzles. Uh, it's one of been, become one of my favorite parts of the day I put my AirPods in, I listen, um, listen to a podcast or music or a TV show, and um, do my puzzle. It's kind of get my introvert on, as I call it. And my daughter, Sadie, uh, she's the most extroverted person in the family. And so she used to help me with the puzzles for the first couple days of our quarantine time, but um, she got over that pretty quickly. And so in the last week, she has started sitting down at the table with me as I do my puzzle and making me take off my AirPods and reading a story to me. Reading aloud, I should say. And the story that she chose to read to me this, read to me this week was C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now, I've read that story many times over the years, but as Sadie read this aloud to me this particular time, something jumped out at me that I never really had picked up on before. There's a point in the story in which the four children who enter the land of Narnia, they're hearing about Aslan. Aslan, who is the good and gracious and sometimes terrifying king of Narnia, and they're hearing about him for the very first time. And even though they didn't know who he was, the story says that at the sound of his name, the mere sound of his name, the children felt something jump inside of them. Because even though they didn't know who he was at the time, they knew instinctually that he was a king they could trust. In fact, they couldn't wait to meet him. And I was reminded yet again and during my time of waiting that sometimes the mere mention of a good and gracious king 
can be exactly what we need in our waiting because there is something about it that brings us hope. Do you know the word wait in Scripture is most often translated to hope or to trust? There are places you can interchange it. Those who wait on the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord. The generations of people who have been called to wait on the Lord throughout the scripture have not been people who have been called without hope. They have not been people that have been called to simply hold their position until someone drops. They have actually been called to wait with a hopeful anticipation of what is to come. It's the kind of waiting we do on Christmas Eve as we wait for Christmas morning. It's the kind of waiting we do as we wait for the arrival of a baby to be born. It's the kind of waiting a groom does as he waits to see his bride on their wedding day. It's this kind of waiting that is filled with hope and longing and expectation, not because we are hoping that our circumstances will change or just because something will be different, but because we put our hope and our confidence in a God and a king who is trustworthy and good, who will never change. Mark Williams says the ability to wait on the Lord stems from being confident and focused on who God is and what God is doing. It means confidence in God's person, confidence in his wisdom, his love, timing, understanding of our situation, and that of the world. It means knowing and trusting in God's principles, his promises, his purpose, and his power. It's the kind of waiting the scripture calls us to time and time again. Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Lamentations 3 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in, is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly in the salvation of the Lord. Isaiah 40 says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary. And in his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, and here it is, you know it. But those who hope in the Lord, those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And so, friends, I ask you again, how are you waiting today? And in whom are you placing your trust while you wait? I could ask you what you are doing while you wait. But that's not the question we're asking today. It's rather the posture, the orientation of our heart of how we are waiting and who we are trusting. Are you waiting as one who's filled with compassion and empathy and grace to the people around you? Are you waiting as one who's filled with gratitude and contentment and joy in spite of the circumstances around us? Are you waiting in a way that allows God to set you free from fear and anxiety and worry? Are you waiting in God's word? Are you waiting in prayer? Are you waiting in remembrance? Are you waiting in a way that shows the light and the life and the hope of Jesus, the only hope we have, 
to the world who is so desperately hurting around us? Are you waiting in a way that shapes your character so that you actually look more like Christ when this is all done? Are you waiting in such a way that you, your family, and the world around you will be different because of how you chose to wait and in whom you chose to trust while you waited? You know, I keep repeating that line over and over, and I think the reason I have been doing that is because the Lord has been speaking these words over me in my own waiting. I had a wake-up call yesterday with these words as I continued to wrestle with that question. It was early in the day yesterday, and one of the things that we do here when we preach is we need to send our sermon notes to the team that puts together Sunday morning worship. And so I emailed off my worship or my sermon outline to Susan Meck, who is our amazing producer here for these classic services. And in my email, I apologized that my sermon notes were coming a little bit late. And she emailed back to me, because I, I said to her, the reason they were late is because I was having trouble coming up with an ending. I said, I am wrestling through how to wrap this up, and I just can't get it right. And she emailed back to me and she said, so sweetly as Susan would, she said, you know what, Suzanne, I'm going to pray that God will give you just the right ending. And so all day yesterday, I wrestled with it and I, I reworked it and I tried to figure out where I was supposed to leave it. And I was so anxious because it wasn't coming together. Finally, at about 7 o'clock last night, I decided, okay, forget this. I am going to go up to the Butterfield campus. It's an empty room, and I'm going to stand on the stage in there, and I'm going to practice this sermon, and I'm going to get the end until I get this ending right because I know God has something for us today in this. And so I went down to our basement uh, to tell my family that I was leaving, and Eric, my husband, and Clay, my son, were in the basement. And they were watching a video that our contemporary worship team had put together as an experiment. And it was one of those things that maybe you have seen where it was a virtual worship experience where everyone was in a different room in their own home and they recorded their parts and then they put them all together on a Zoom call and beautifully made one song with all the parts. And this is what they'd done, and the reason we were watching it is because my son Clay had been invited to play one of the guitar parts. And so I came downstairs, and I was watching them watch this, and I was listening, and the song that they were singing during their virtual worship was Waymaker. Do you know that song? I know we don't sing it here in classic worship, but it's, it's a song that's basically on every radio station or Spotify list that you can listen to right now. And I was listening to the words, and it starts out like this. You are moving. You're moving in our midst. I worship you. You are working in this place, and I worship you. You're touching every heart. You're healing every heart. You're touching every life. You're turning lives around. You're meeting every need. I worship you. It's a song about who God is. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. And I must have had my own Nehemiah moment or my own Narnia moment because something stirred in my heart and I knew immediately why I was so anxious. And I knew immediately what I needed to do. And so I grabbed my backpack and I grabbed my AirPods and I strapped it on and I started walking to the Butterfield campus and I turned on Waymaker and I cranked it up as loud as I could because God was sending me a message he wanted me to know that in all my anxious waiting to figure out the end of the sermon that I had forgotten to put my trust in the one who I waited for. And so I was walking and somewhere along the way 
I think I started to sing the words of the song out loud and I started to cry a little bit and the tears were streaming down my face as the song continued to wash over me and I was saying hello to neighbors who were out working, walking their dog as I was crying and singing. I, I'm sure it was a, a hot mess. But I kept doing it, I kept walking. And I got to the parking lot of the Butterfield campus and as I was walking across the parking lot, the refrain of the song came on. Even when I can't see you, you're working. Even when I can't feel you, you're working. You never stop working. You never stop working because my God, that is who you are. I had no idea how much I needed to hear those words in this time of waiting. And I don't mean in writing a sermon. By the time I got to the doors of the church, I was so overwhelmed with the song and the presence of God, I just sat down on the bench outside the church and I just was weeping. And I don't even know exactly what was happening, but, but I put my, heads in my, my hand, head in my hands and I had this moment of God where I was lamenting and I was grieving what has been lost during this time and I was praying for people who have been hurt and people who have not been able to grieve properly together and people who have lost their jobs and I was confessing my sin and I was having this moment with God. And when it was over, I finally collected myself and I went into the church and I just sat in the sanctuary out by myself. It was really quiet. And I started once again to work through this sermon and I wrote this story. And when I came to the end of the sermon, I, I looked at what I had originally written that I was struggling with and here's what it said. It said, friends, I don't know what you are waiting for today, or how you are choosing to wait. I don't know if you're hearing the king's name for the first time and you're feeling something stir inside of you that you don't know what to do with. But what I do know is that we serve a God who loves us very much. He sees what we're waiting for. He feels our heart as we wait, and he enters into the waiting with us because he is ultimately the God who is who he says he is. He is the God in whom we trust and we hope with confidence and expectation while we wait. I don't know why God chose to gave, give me that moment yesterday. I think maybe he wanted to show off that he could answer Susan's prayer. <laughs> or maybe he just wanted to make sure that I knew what I actually wrote and preached about today was true. Because the God of the universe stepped off his throne in heaven and he met me in my waiting. And my hope and my prayer for you today is that he will do the same. And I'm confident that he will. Let's pray. Father, whatever we may be waiting for, Lord, however you are calling us to wait, Father, my prayer for us today is that we would not miss you in the waiting. I pray that we would not be a community when this period of waiting is over that simply goes back to life as normal when we're done with our waiting, but that instead we would be a community of people, we would be your church that moves forward together because we have been marked and changed by how we chose to wait and in you who we place our trust. Father, may it be so today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Friends, thank you so much for joining us in worship today. As you go today, please receive this benediction. Friends, as you wait today, whatever you are waiting for and however you are waiting, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and bring you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace.